I want to turn with you this morning to the uh, book of Matthew, chapter 18, and we'll begin reading in verse 21, and we'll read down through verse 35. And I want to notice with you uh, today the subject of sounding the depths of forgiveness, sounding the depths of forgiveness. Now, you're aware that uh, uh, sounding in the use of that title is a nautical term, and uh, perhaps you have uh, been out on a boat at some time or another, and uh, I know when we went deep sea fishing one time, uh, you know, when you're on the shore and you get on the boat and then you, you go out for maybe an hour and then they stop the boat and uh, you begin to fish. And uh, so I said, well, how deep's the water here? And when he told me, it like, oh, my goodness, where's the life jacket? I don't want to fall in when it's, you know, I don't know if it was a mile deep or whatever it was, but it was unbelievably deep. Forgiveness is like that. Sometimes we think of forgiving someone and uh, uh, we, we might say, uh, oh, don't, don't think anything about it. It, it. it was nothing. And maybe it really wasn't. And then things can become so hairy or so naughty, as in K-N-O-T, that uh, it's like, this is not possible to forgive someone. Well, the Savior's dealing with that in our text this morning. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times? And Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until Seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a servant king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant, therefore, fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out, found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if ye from your heart hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. I don't know 
exactly that I could prove uh, the Lord burdened me with this message a few weeks ago at home. But uh, anyway, it was very heavy on my mind and I didn't have particular, uh, anyone particular in mind at the church. I just uh, had the subject on my mind and felt like I should look into it. And then as I was studying it, I realized the Lord had burdened me with this message because I needed it, because I had, uh, I had harbored uh, non-forgiveness in areas of my life. And it, it really struck me. And that's what the Savior is doing here. He, he wants us to sound the depths of forgiveness. In other words, forgiveness goes very, very deep in our uh, serving of the Lord. I want to give a couple of disclaimers before I begin. And that is that uh, forgiveness, when we speak of it, uh, doesn't mean that we're going to forget something. It, it may be in our mind still about what took place. But it is a commitment not to live according to what was done. Secondly, uh, it's not that we just forgive someone when there's an excuse. In other words, we say, why did you do this and so? And then the person says, well, this is why, and I didn't, I didn't really know. And so we just said, oh, well, that's all right. It, it, it's not... We're sounding the depths of forgiveness. We're talking about things that are very, very deep and perhaps are great, great hurts. And then uh, when, when we look at the subject of forgiveness, we're not necessarily saying that when there's an offense that the person who perhaps has even been forgiven, that you can necessarily totally trust them as you did before. We're not saying that. Uh, somebody has said, uh, you know, uh, forgive but don't be stupid. Well, that's kind of a harsh way to put it, but uh, there may be some truth in looking at it that way. And, uh, you know, if a merchant, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> somehow uh, d doesn't treat you properly, well, that's fine. Perhaps uh, you can uh, find forgiveness and things be worked out, but it doesn't mean you have to do business there any longer. So uh, that, that's the way that would be. And it's also true that when there is forgiveness, it doesn't mean that perhaps a relationship is restored, uh, but there can still be forgiveness. And then uh, we need to understand that forgiveness is not just an emotion. I'm going to be looking a lot at emotion but it's not just an, an emotion. In fact, forgiveness is rather a commitment. And when the Lord forgave us, is it not true? Uh, he says, I'll remember your sins no more. But of course, the Lord does not have amnesia. It's simply the fact that the Lord has determined not to remember them against us anymore. And, of course, that's through the, the work of Christ. So when we, when we think of the depth of forgiveness, sometimes we, uh, we think that, as in the Gospel of Luke, it says that if, uh, you know, we have been trespassed against, that we are to go to this person and in verse 4 of Luke 17, and he says, uh, if you trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee saying, I repent, he said, thou shalt forgive him. And he says, if your brother trespasses against you, rebuke him. So he, he speaks there about going to the person, and between the two of you, you... Uh, you speak to the one, and uh, the word here means to, to tentatively say, this is the way it looks to me, this is what uh, I heard, this is the way it's been to me, 
and that's why I'm presenting this to you because that was an offense. And then you attempt to work the situation out and the person may or may not have reason or they may just say, I was wrong, forgive me. But in the Gospel of Mark, it's interesting because the passage uh, turns more to the attitude of the one that uh, has been offended rather than the actual mechanics of working it out. In other words, he's actually looking at where our heart is and if you noticed in the passage I read in the book of Matthew, he said, unless in your hearts you forgive one another. So in the, in the gospel of Mark and chapter 11 and verse 25, he says, and when ye stand praying, forgive. If ye have aught against any, that your father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. There is an indication in that passage that when I'm before the Lord in prayer, he's not indicating in this passage that I've gone to the person. He's indicating there that my heart is in a state or an attitude where I actually desire the, the forgiveness and the restoration. Now that's a big deal. And I've, I've found in my own heart, and this is, this is a confession. Uh, I don't know why you'd come uh, uh, 1,500 miles away from home uh, to confess, but anyway, that's what's happening. So if, if, if we're angry at someone and we think we have a right to be angry and we are going to hold on to the anger and we even think that anger is justified so that we can get even with the person, we're in a bad way. In fact, to the degree we do that, to that degree, according to our text, and we could turn to 1 John and 1, he says that uh, we're to confess to the Lord, right, uh, our sins. First of all, he says that he would that we would not sin, but if any man does sin, he says he has an advocate with uh, the Father. But he says there that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So we're looking at a realm here of our fellowship with the Lord. And if our heart isn't right, there's perhaps I could say to whatever degree our heart isn't right, to that degree, we are actually severing our fellowship with the Lord. In fact, our text says we're actually turned over to the tormentors. Now, does that mean that I'm turned over to eternal uh, judgment or banishment? Uh, but if I do forgive, I won't be going to eternal torment and be banished? Well, if that's true, then we didn't even need Christ. All we have to do is confess to each other, and that'll keep us out of hell. That, Of course, that doesn't make any sense at all, does it? No. So he's saying we need to have the attitude of desiring repentance, and we need to have the desire in our heart to have compassion upon another sinner. Now, uh, I'm, I'm trying to notice with this the depth of forgiveness, and it, it, gets, it gets real ugly. It gets so ugly. It gets so naughty. It gets so difficult. It, it, it really opens up our, the, the, the wretchedness of my heart anyway. Uh, you know, Paul said that he was the chiefest of sinners, so I, I pray none of y'all have been to the places I've been. I really do. I mean, I wouldn't want you to be where I've, I've been. But the, the thought of, of this uh, forgiveness is so connected to our own anger, and sometimes we, we say, well, we're to have righteous anger. But before we get into this anymore, I just want to caution all of us against the thought of righteous anger. And we usually get that from Ephesians 4. Well, in Ephesians 4, even when he says be angry, he says not to sin. And then he says, let not 
the sun go down on your wrath. So if we have righteous anger, guess how long you're supposed to have it? <laughs> hmm, that doesn't quite work so well, does it? And, and furthermore, in, in the other places where we have anger mentioned, he speaks to us about that anger should actually not be a part of who we are. And here's the problem. It is so difficult for a depraved sinner to have anger and for it not to become revenge. That's the problem. We ought to know what's right and wrong and have righteous anger. But when we're harboring it, or I will say when I'm harboring it, thinking that I'm justified, I'm actually putting myself in the presence of God, thinking that it's okay for me, basically to make the other person so miserable, they'll finally uh, come groveling on their hands and knees, and you know I can uh, stretch out my rod and touch their head and say, forgiven. You know, I mean... I know we don't think of it that way, but we so easily end up there and we don't know we've ended up there. And so in Ephesians, uh, you're uh, familiar, well, really, whether you go to the book of Romans, you go to the book of Colossians, we can go to the book of Galatians, wherever we go, we see when the thought of anger comes up, it's actually spoken of in a very negative way. And so I'm just saying we've got to be really careful when we think of righteous anger. In Galatians 5, he said, If you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. And what are the works of the flesh? Well, as he goes down through here, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations. But then he says wrath. He actually speaks of it being a work of the flesh when our anger develops to the point that we're desiring to bring upon the other person misery and heartache and trouble uh, so, so that we have the sense of self-satisfaction. We just have to be so careful that we don't end up making ourselves basically into God. In the book of Colossians, you're, you're, uh, we read in Galatians, but in Colossians he says, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. And in the list again, he says, lie not one to another, verse 9, uh, put off the old man, we're to put on the new man. And then he says uh, that we're to put on as the elect of God. He names several things, but when he speaks of the flesh, then he again speaks of anger. So the depth of forgiveness to be sounded really has to come to the place we realize what Christ did for us. This first servant was forgiven 10,000 talents. You say, how much is that? Well, I don't really know. Except that what I've read. Here, here, here's the variable between this and this. I read that it's either at the low point, four to five billion. That's with a B. If you took their currency and brought it into our day and age, there are some who say it's up as high as one trillion of American dollars. That's a lot of money. Now, what is he saying? And, 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 and also, how could a person be in debt Four or five billion dollars. How could that happen? Well, from what I can read, it might have been like this. In that day, uh, like Caesar Augustus, he, he would own everything. 
That's why he was called Caesar, because he seized everything. <laughs> so it was all his. Then he would have men under him. Let's just call them governors. So all the wealth in the empire was Caesar's. Then he would give, we'll just say to a governor of a province, what the governor needed to take care of everybody under him. It would be huge amounts of money. And then that person, if they misused the amount given, it could be billions of dollars. You know, if, if everything that went on in Texas was given from D.C., it's almost that way, you know, nowadays anyway. But, but anyway, we'll just say it all goes to him. And let's say he spent it all on himself. He could be billions of dollars in debt. Maybe a trillion. And so reckoning comes. How's he going to pay it back? There is no way to pay it back. No way to pay it back. And if the king in authority forgives him, actually the king is totally endangering himself. And then the servant won't forgive maybe a hundred days wages. I don't know how, many, how much do people make nowadays. Well, I don't know. You decide in your mind. Let's say somebody makes $100,000 a year. Let's say he makes that in, in, uh, in uh, you know, 200 days work a year. I, I'm just throwing figures out. It's like it's, it's at least a half or maybe to two-thirds of a year worth of wages. Somebody owes him that, and he will not forgive. Now, friends, what we're looking at is what Christ has forgiven us. And what we're looking at is that we'll never be able to forgive in the sense that our hearts are affected if we don't realize what Christ has forgiven us. And we are prone to think, because we're depraved, that things can get so bad we can't forgive. Now think for just a moment what Joseph forgave his brothers. Now I know how brothers can get into things. And if my little brother was here, he would tell you how I chased him with a hammer. And if I would have been able to run as fast as he did, he might not be around today. Because I was that angry. We, we can get angry with each other. And we can get angry with each other when, when the offense is a, it's, it's a real offense. But, but Joseph forgave his brothers who desired to do away with him. Now, friends, it's one thing if somebody wants to hurt me. It's one thing if Charlotte and I have, let's say, a healthy uh, discussion I wouldn't want to call it an argument. We had a healthy discussion. It's one thing for us to forgive one another. But if, if, if I'm so angry that I would put uh, arsenic in Charlotte's morning coffee, do you think she would stay around long? Friends, things get difficult. Things get naughty. How much does God require? What are we able to do in the Holy Spirit? How can the family of God get along together? Oh, it's hard. But in another way, looking to Christ, our hearts come in to the right position. Eleven years passed. Jennifer Thompson got married and had triplets. And she was now well past the nightmare of 19... 84, but once more she was asked to assist in the prosecution. This time they asked her to provide blood samples for DNA. She agreed, confident that would only solidify the case against Ronald Cotton. And then the unthinkable happened. 
A police detective and district attorney knocked on Jennifer Thompson's front door and told her that the DNA testing had proved that Ronald Cotton was not her assailant. And Bobby Poole, the man testified that she had uh, seen before, she testified against this Bobby Poole, that he was the man who had raped her and Jennifer Thompson had helped send him to prison for 11 years. And this is gory details, but it shows the depth, the depth, the depth of forgiveness that God's children are able to look over one another and to forgive because of what Christ has done for them. How did Paul go preaching? Answer me. I mean, not literally, but think about it. Well, literally, if you want to. How did Paul go into the midst of people when probably there were people there that he had seen family members incarcerated and in the case of some we know, they had been put to death? Tell me, tell me. If I had seen to your child being put to death, would you like for me to be preaching this morning? This is tough stuff. Tough. So Jennifer Thompson says, I won't read the whole article. I know during the very offense being raped, I looked into his eyes, I memorized his face, and I know who it was. And when they put the lineup of people, she swore without a shadow of a doubt she knew who it was. And that guy went to prison for 11 years and then later, this is a true story, and then later with DNA evidence, she finds she put the wrong man in prison. What do you do with stuff like that? Well, do you just keep it in your heart? Does the man that's been in prison for 11 years harbor his anger? He knows he's innocent? Do you know if you have rats infesting your house and you eat rat poison, it won't affect the rats at all? And that's the way it is when we harbor hatred and anger and we're going to get revenge on someone. And this gentleman who had been in prison for 11 years after Jennifer Thompson found out she had been wrong, she asked if he would meet her after he was released and he came to her and met her in the sanctuary of a church, and she is trembling for all her worth, thinking, this is not going to go well, but I can't live knowing what I've done. And he said, I have never been angry at you. I have been praying for you, that you would not, have a horrible life because of what happened to you. I don't know about you, but I, I need to hear this every day. I mean, that is naughty. It is hard. But do you know what? It's going to be harder not to forgive because we're turned over to the tormentors. We are removed from the presence of God in fellowship. Think of what Christ has forgiven us. What did it cost him? It cost him 10,000 talents. It cost him everything. 
We already mentioned this when we were talking about the power and the blood, but he came from glory. He came here to forgive us. And so the problem of forgiveness is deep. It is hard. It is maybe what we think is impossible. But when I think I am going to hold out against somebody, I'm going to hold this and I'm going to be angry at them. And even if they would repent or if they didn't repent, I'm talking about the attitude of our heart ought to at least be in the place to desire restoration. It ought to at least go that far. And that's all that I'm basically looking at, not the ins and the outs afterward. I'm looking at the fact that our heart ought to desire that things be worked out. And he says, if we forgive those that trespass against us, then he will forgive us. Is that not the exemplary prayer? Every prayer, it's Lord, work things out. Bring them to a blessing. And I'm not to even get up from prayer. I'm not to get up from praying until I pray that. Oh my goodness, do I even want to pray anymore? That's hard. It's really hard. We're looking at how how hard it is and yet how necessary it is. And I don't know, maybe it's not even proper to to mention these. Somebody say, well, you're just into gory details. No, I I just want to bring the truth home. We think it's hard to forgive somebody. How hard was it? How hard was it for Christ to forgive us? He went to the cross, did he not? Yeah. But what happened before the cross? He sweat as it were. Great drops of blood. I'm not saying he actually shed blood. He shed as it were. In other words, just facing what it was going to take to forgive us in his enduring the wrath of God on the cross, he physically was altered to the point that he was sweating as it were great drops of blood just in the anticipation of it. The Carrier family lives in Coral Gables, Florida, And school let out on December the 20th in 1974. Chris Carrier was just 10 and was abducted on the way home. The bus let him off. He had a block to walk. He was half a block from home. He was abducted by a man that said he knew his dad. He said we're uh, planning a, a... Surprise birthday party for your dad. Don't you want to come with me and we'll, uh, you know, get the birthday party ready. And he drove out into the, uh, uh, I can't think of what, yeah, the swamps of, of Florida. I mean, brethren, this is, this is so horrible. I mean, I mean, forgive me for even using such an example, but I, I, want, us, I want us to get it. The man took an ice pick to the 10-year-old boy and burned him with cigarettes. Forgiveness is hard. It's really hard. The 10-year-old boy, as he was being mutilated, actually prayed. Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. And you would have to admit, a human being that can can be at that depth of wretchedness doesn't know what they're doing. Wouldn't you agree? There's no way. Well, little Chris was then shot by his perpetrator went in here and came out here. Six days later, 
hunters found him. He was dazed. And he was out in the Everglades. But his mind was okay, except being dazed. He lost the sight of one eye. And he somewhat lived a normal life for decades. And then, and they didn't know who did it. They didn't know who had committed the crime. And then decades later, there was a man in a rest home who was coming to the end of his life. He asked for the authorities to come, and he said, I have a confession to make. And he said, I'm the man that mutilated Chris Carrier. And you know what Chris did? He now had glaucoma and was not able to see. But he went, not only weekly, to see his perpetrator, but sometimes he went four and five times a week. And he said to his perpetrator, friends, I am unspiritual. I am just, I'm just not what I'm supposed to be. How about you? Christianity's not platitudes. Christianity's not just stuff we talk about. Christianity's reality that I'm actually a sinner and he actually died for me and I was against him just like these wretched examples I've mentioned were against somebody. And Chris went to visit him and said, I prayed for you the day you did it. I've prayed for you since. And his perpetrator said, before he passed, you are my best friend I've ever had. And before it was over, his perpetrator actually said, how is it you can do this? And he told him about his Lord and Savior and that he was a sinner that had committed great crimes against the God of heaven. And they were bonded even closer. And the perpetrator believed in his own forgiveness. I don't know anything about forgiveness except that I don't know anything about it. I just know it's hard, naturally. But I know it can be very deep under the blessing of God. How can you be under the stone of those who hate you and are taking your life and say, as Stephen did, Father, forgive them. How can you do that? How? By realizing what Christ did for you. That's the only way. Maybe this is more about our fellowship with Christ than it is us with individuals. I think it really is. It's more about, am I, am I humbled? Am, am I driven down to realize what it took for Christ how many days or, or how many hours can I go through a day and not even think of the Lord? Yet if I come home and Charlotte doesn't run to the door and say, Oh, blessed, perfect husband that thou art, having provided for me for 49 years, let me bow and kiss your feet. I get offended. 
I mean, the dog came to the front door to see me. She stays in the utility room, putting clothes from the washer to the dryer. We are so entitled. How did Polycarp, in the first century, how? When he was to be burned and he said, give me an hour in prayer. Going to be martyred for his Christian faith. How? Did he, after an hour of prayer, come back to the stake and tell those that were going to burn him, do not tie me to the stake? I said, why? He said, because the Lord will give me the strength. To stand here as the flames reach up around me and take my life away. And sure enough, he was able to stand there as the flames took his life away. Wow. What we have in Christ is astounding. You say, well, that's supernatural. <laughs> yeah, that's supernatural. How did Christ stay on the cross? Was it the nails? No, no, it wasn't the nails. He was being taunted. If you be the Christ, come down. I don't know what's ahead of us. Perhaps very, very difficult things. Perhaps our lives are going to be taken. Perhaps we're going to end up like Polycarp. Listen, Paul was beheaded, evidently, by Nero. I do not see Paul's anger towards the system that was ruling I quoted last night. He, he actually prayed that they might lead a quiet and peaceable life. If I would have been there, I'd probably say, we need to get a band of people together and we're going to go storm the castle and destroy. Friends, the Lord says, we are to be a people that have a heart that desires forgiveness. Now this is naughty and I'm not going into anything and I want to say this again. Specific examples have specific uh, applications. It, each situation has uh, different things that must and must not be applied and, and uh, I'm just visiting here. <laughs> You'll have to work that out with Brother Dolph. <laughs> I'm simply looking at that one phrase where it said, if we in our hearts do not have the desire and the realization that we are to forgive, then we will be turned over to the tormentors. Corey Tin Boom, as you all know, uh, hid Jews in World War II then she was found out and she ended up going to a concentration camp she saw her own sister die Corrie ten Boone had uh, a speaking uh, I'll call it a ministry in 1947 just a couple of years after the war she was speaking and suddenly she noticed someone in the back and it had actually been one of the uh, anyway guards of the concentration camp she was in. Corrie Boom said she had gone there to this particular uh, 
a speeching, speech event. She's going to tell them how the Lord forgave us, and she said she felt very good and very upbuilt that she was able to give a wonderful uh, message. And then after her message, that gentleman began to come forward. You've probably heard this. But when he got up close, she realized who it was. And he said, Fraulein, you know, a wonderful message. And he said, isn't it wonderful to know that God forgives sinners and he's forgiven me? And she knew he had caused the death of many in very ugly ways. Again, I'm being so graphic, y'all have to forgive me. When the women went to the showers, they were not clothed. And he was not a moral man. And she knew that he had brought the death of her sister. And he said, will you forgive me? If I'd had a pistol, I'd shot him in the head. I mean, that's my nature. And here comes this other part of this. She had to go like this because she could not bring herself to shake his hand. But she said in her mind she knew she had. To forgive. Is it automatic when we commit ourselves to do what God would have us do under the circumstances that are correct, which Brother Dolph will explain to you? I'm sorry, Brother Dolph. Is it right? Yeah. She said when she forgave, it was totally an act of the will. And weeks went on, several weeks, and she could not feel any better. And she finally talked to a, a pastor where she had spoken, and he said to her, again, Fraulein, it's like a clapper and a bell. You've made the commitment. You've been obedient to God's will and said the clapper will continue to dong but said, after a while, it won't dong as loud. And said, eventually, it'll be settled in the middle because you've been obedient. And she said, it's as if, it's as if, she said. Negative, I don't know. Anyway, it, she said it was physical. It, it, it's as if the negativity drained out of her and she was alive again. And she said she began to notice that where she was taking care now of those who had been in the camp and she was attempting to rehabilitate them, that those who forgave got well very quickly. And those who did not continued to be in very poor physical condition and in a sense of derangement, a derangement of being able to cope with life. My dear people, this is a horrible Sunday morning sermon, isn't it? What a terrible thing to do to a congregation. But I've been so gripped by the realization. I need to get this junk out of my system. I need to let vengeance be God's. I'm not saying everything's restored. Everything becomes hunky-dory like the examples I've given. I'm not saying that. But I am saying... 
Look to Christ. Please look to Christ. Please, when you're thinking, I, 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 I can't get over this. I'm not going to ever live again. It's, it's beyond possibility. Remember, it was not with Stephen. It was not with Joseph. It was not with others of the scriptures who had those who sinned against them. They forgave. I think of John being on the Isle of Patmos. If I would have written the book of Revelation, it would have been how horrible I had been treated. Why is it not written in there that he had been boiled in a cauldron of oil? Why didn't he keep all of his trespasses uh, written out like Charlotte has a as an aunt or some relative, that, that their marriage was so wonderful that the woman wrote down every bad thing he ever did. And so, down the road, if they had an argument, she'd pull out her book and say, this is where you did wrong. You think that was a sweet marriage? Ah. Friends, we have to remember that even John wrote a book with the Lord filling his heart because he was not harboring hatred towards those who had been hateful towards him. Okay, I'm through. I pray that y'all may continue to be a very, very blessed congregation. It's been sweet to be with you. I pray that you'll be so knit together and looking over one another. Love covers a multitude of sins, right? That when people come in the back door, they will sense there is love in this place. And they will sense that it's the love of Christ and you will prosper and you'll have revival. The community will be changed and that we'll have fellowship with God. Forgive me if I've stepped over my bounds. You come and see us in Austin. Thank you.